All right, let's come back together now. So good to see everybody. Again, Happy New Year, a week late. I'm so glad to see everyone here today. Again, I want to just say to all of you who may be here for the first time, or maybe you're here for the first time in a long time, we are glad that you are here today and you are not here by accident. You are here because God has called you for this first communion Sunday of the year to unite with his church and to consider how the Lord might be calling you to align your ministry, your life with the work that he is doing through this church. So we are glad that you're here because you're not here by accident. He's got a reason for you being here today. And perhaps it was to hear the passage that we're about to share together. If you would turn to our scripture lesson for today, it comes from the gospel of Luke beginning in the first verse. Now we have been studying the gospel of Luke through the season of Advent before Christmas, but we're going to actually begin today a series on the book of Luke. But to do that, we're going to actually go back and catch these first few verses of the book that we did not consider when we were working on the Christmas story. And then we will pick up again next week in chapter three. But if you will, look at these first verses of Luke's gospel. Luke writes this, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, rain down your love on us. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, because we know that this is your word, that it is true and that it is given in love. And so we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the biggest news stories of 2022 and continuing into this year was the story of the buyout of a social media platform called Twitter by multi-billionaire Elon Musk. Now, as you have no doubt heard by now, Musk paid billions of dollars to buy the, the giant social media platform. And for the last several months, he has been releasing documents, documents, emails, all kinds of things, alleging that before he bought it, the company was in collusion with the government and certain political entities were, were putting pressure on Twitter to suppress news and distort facts around a number of issues. And Musk's claim and the release of hundreds of documents seems to corroborate a consistent bias in the news and debate that was allowed on Twitter. That bias was also evident and how Twitter self-regulated who might participate in the social media platform. Now, this is a big story because millions of people, rightly or wrongly, have become dependent on Twitter 
as a major source of news, information, and facts. Individual citizens, politicians, political parties, economists, medical professionals, parents, teachers, business people, all made decisions, all judged people, and all set their values based on information that was given to them and supposedly evaluated and validated by Twitter. People were willing to bet their lives on what they read on Twitter. People trusted Twitter more than they trusted their parents or their friends or their churches or their pastors or their rabbis or their doctors and even more than they trusted scientists. And the decisions they made had real-time consequences on people's health, on their relationships, on their mental well-being, on their education, on their standard of living, and their political participation. Let me ask you, knowing what's been released, how much do you trust Twitter now? How much do you trust Twitter now? For that matter, where do you get your news? Mainstream media, Fox News, Facebook? Do you get your news from the people at work, from the guys in the locker room or ladies at the meeting? You know, sadly, study after study has shown that kids are more likely to turn to social media, to Google, to Reddit, or TikTok about important questions before they ever ask a parent for help. This all raises a really important question. Whom do you trust for the truth? That was the concern of a doctor named Luke, who was a physician and a follower of Jesus. You see, the early Christians had a story to tell. And on the day of Pentecost, in the year 33 AD, they burst out onto the scene to tell it. And they came with wind and fire, driven by the Holy Spirit. And day after day, the followers of Jesus declared the message of Jesus, and the church grew. Now, the earliest sermons of the church, recorded by Luke also, were all about Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. They were about his glorious resurrection and a call to a new life by turning away from sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. But as the years went on, as the years went by and the news spread farther and people heard about Jesus, as they heard about him for the first time, there were many who wanted to know more and more about him. If they were going to bet their lives on this man and what he said, then they wanted to know the whole story. They wanted to know that he was more than just a a philosopher or a prophet or a wandering peasant preacher or a cult fanatic who had gotten at odds with the Romans, who'd gotten in trouble with the authorities and had been executed. People wanted to know the story. They wanted to know the facts behind the news. And it was not until about 30 years later, in the early 60s A.D., that Luke wrote down the story behind the good news of Jesus. And that's important because not only were some of those original disciples beginning to die out, but there were also lots of really weird, really strange stories floating around Jesus, floating around about Jesus at the time. Stories that his enemies had concocted, stories that people who just were wish projecting, had made up. 
And so Luke set out to write what he called an orderly account of the origins and ministry of Jesus. The purpose of writing down the story was to give an orderly account of the origins and ministry of Jesus. And he tells us why. In his introduction to his friend Theophilus, which actually means lover of God, he explains that he wrote this account of the story of Jesus so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The Gospel of Luke was written to give us news that we can trust and that can change our lives now and forever. He wanted to make sure that people knew that the story of Jesus, the good news, is true and it is real. I believe that Luke's burden was twofold. On the one hand, he wants us to be certain of the trustworthiness of the gospel, that it is true and therefore can be trusted as the foundation for our lives. That's what he means by certainty. You see, the good news of Jesus is as fundamentally certain as gravity or time. The power of love of God and the truth about Jesus is as dependable as the rising or the setting sun. If Jesus says... This is the way it is, then that's the way it is. If Jesus said, This is who God is in His holiness and His glory and His love and in His grace and His justice and His judgment, then that is who God is. If Jesus says, This is who you are and this is the human condition and this is what you need, then He is right. If Jesus says that God's word is true and we better take it seriously, then we better take it seriously. And if he says that this is what God commands and this is what God expects, then we better do it. If Jesus says that this is what God promises, then we can believe that God will keep his promises. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a popular expression going around these days that you have your truth and I have my truth. That, that your truth is this, but my truth may be this. No. There are not multiple truths. There is one truth. And that's why Luke is obsessed with contextual facts. Think about the words that you heard over and over again over Christmas. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, had all, the world, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. That's a lot of details. And Luke wants to remind us that these stories are about real people and about things that really happened to them. He is saying that somewhere 
The birth of Jesus was recorded. You can check the census records or you can check the records in the temple. And it happened not in some fanciful golden age, but when this emperor was in power and when this guy was governor of Syria. And it happened in real places like Galilee and Nazareth and Judea, places you can visit. You can't go to Narnia or Middle Earth or Tatooine, but you can go to Capernaum and to Bethlehem, to Nazareth and Jerusalem. He gave historical facts that we could corroborate. And he laid out these kinds of details throughout his book. To the people of his generation, he is saying, you know what, you can go check this out. Some of these people are still alive. And this is so important for Luke. Because he knows that it's not enough for us to know the story of Jesus. We have to trust it with our lives. Now, why is this so important to talk about now? On the second Sunday of 2023. Well, just six months ago, in July, the Gallup organization released a study that a record low, 20% of Americans now say that the Bible is the literal word of God. Down from 24% the last time the question was asked in 2017, and half, half of what it was at high points in 1980 and 1984. Meanwhile, 29% of people say that the Bible is a collection simply of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recorded by man. And this shift goes along, the shift about the attitudes about the Bible goes along with measurable declines, not only with the participation in religious, uh, religious practices, but also it goes along with a declining conviction and belief in God. Now, why is this important? Well, the clenching observation of the study comes in the last paragraph of the report. It says, Americans' interpretations of the Bible are important because the Bible is often used as the basis for policy positions on moral and values issues, including such things as abortion and gay and lesbian relations. Last paragraph of that report. The point is, people use information to make decisions. Americans make decisions based on what they believe, and most Americans no longer know or trust the Bible. It means that when Americans, when faced with important decisions, relationship, health, behavior, political, financial, community decisions, they are unlikely to take seriously the truth and facts and guidance of the Bible. They are no longer turning to God's words for answers or asking the questions that we asked back in Advent. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the people I love, for my community, for our culture, for our world? They're not asking the Bible those questions anymore. And so if we're not turning to God's word, if not to the gospel, then what? Well, the answer is simple. We all know what we're turning to. We're turning to something else. 
If we are not turning to the Bible for truth, that means that we are turning to something else. Something else, say like, I don't know, Twitter? Luke is concerned about the truth. But Luke is also concerned with the facts of his story because he wants the gospel to be real to us. You know, it's one thing to read history, and it's another thing to stand on the beach at Normandy or to cross the fields of Gettysburg or to look down on the water at Pearl Harbor or to touch the Alamo. At all those places, it's like history and reality seem to intersect. This is what I learned on a recent pilgrimage to Israel with many of you in this room. I was raised in the Presbyterian church. I've been an ordained minister for 26 years. There's never been a time in my life when I did not believe that the content of the Bible was true. But when I went to Israel, something about being there made it even more real. I was in the places where it happened, where I could see and hear and smell and taste and feel things that words on a page could not convey. Standing on the deck of a boat in the Sea of Galilee, eating the food they ate, smelling the smells, feeling the tension of the Sabbath, holding the tiniest widow mite penny coin in my hand and the kind of silver coins that Judas accepted to betray the Lord. Touching the wall at the foot of the temple mount and walking up the steps. Praying in the garden of Gethsemane walking the streets where Jesus carried his cross, looking up at Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified and carried our sins in his own body, going to the empty tomb. What we read about as ancient history, those were all current events to Luke. The point is that this stuff really happened. Real people in real places in real time. And if these things happen to real places and real events in real time, then it really matters now. If this stuff really happened, then it matters in the same way that Gettysburg or Normandy or the Alamo matters now. You know, we're not finished with those questions we talked about during Advent. We're still pondering what the story of the birth and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus means for you and me, what it means for the people that we love, what it means for San Antonio and for our country and for the year 2023. What does it mean for real? If Jesus was and is a real person and he is alive and he is God and he is in control and he is the judge of the living and the dead, then what am I supposed to do with that information? Should that affect the way I live? Should that affect what I believe? Luke is writing a factual account to give us confidence 
and the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word, the Bible. Because he wants us to understand that the good news of Jesus is not just a story, it is history. These things really happened. And he wants us to bet our lives on it. The question is, is it just history to you or is it current event? Is it relevant to you now? You may know the stories, you may participate in the religion, but is the good news of Jesus Christ real in your life every day? When the gospel becomes real in your life, you'll notice something happen. It will get people's attention. People will begin to believe that the good news of Jesus is true when, he sees that, when they see that it is real to you. When they see it lived out in the real facts of our lives, they will begin to believe that he can make a difference in their lives. They'll believe that when they see that it's made a difference in our lives, in your life, in real time, in our real decisions, giving us real courage in the face of real challenges, making a difference in the way that you and I spend our time and the way we treat people and the way we love people and the way we talk to people. Are you contributing to the story by adding the facts of your life to the reality of the gospel? In other words, would people believe that the gospel is real because of what they see in you? Luke wants us to have certainty. A minister with whom I served, one of my best friends, the the late Dr. Dan McCall, had an expression that I'd like to share with you. Dan would say, sometimes the faintest ink is more clear than the strongest memory. Sometimes the faintest ink is more strong than the strongest, is more clear than the strongest memory. Luke knew how important it was that he write down the gospel. Luke wanted people to be certain of the good news of Jesus Christ. He wanted people to be certain of the truth of God's word. Because even when our faith and our feelings fade, when we begin to doubt God's promises, even when all that happens, the Bible remains in black and white to remind us. When we forget who we are and who we're supposed to be, the Bible reminds us. When we forget who God is, how much he loves us and and what he expects, the Bible is there to remind us. When we lose touch with the way things really are in the universe, The Bible reminds us. And when we forget our hope and all despair takes over, the Bible reminds us that our God is the God who keeps his promises. Of this we can be certain, that Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? For the Bible tells me so. And of that, Luke wants us to be certain. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we live in a world of hundreds of competing voices, of hundreds of complicated stories and complex facts. We live, oh God, in a world of distractions and 
We need the certainty of your truth. And so we pray that you would give us an awareness and a conviction, not only of the truth of your word, but that you would make it real in our lives. Lord, we ask you now to lend your table to this very purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a rock that I picked up in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Why did I bring it back? It's not really special. It's just a piece of basalt, which is a kind of volcanic rock that's very prevalent in that region. The reason I I brought it back, I actually brought this one back for a friend, hoping to give it to him today, but I brought this rock back because it's real. I can feel it, I can turn it in my hands. It was really there and it reminds me that I was really there. It is something tangible that I can see, that I can feel to remind me of a reality that I can't see and I can't feel right now. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knew that faith is hard. And so he wanted to give us something that we could hold in our hands, that we could touch, that we could feel to remind us that his word is not just true, but it is real. That these things happen to real events, that were real events that happen to real people in real places at real times. But more importantly, he wanted us to have something solid in our hands so that we would know that his love for us is real. That his body, his blood, given for us, were as real as the cup and the bread that we hold in our hands. He wanted us to remember that everything we have read, we can understand with certainty. Everything we have heard, we can here with certainty because just as this rock from Capernaum is real, so too was Jesus Christ. So too were the things he did. So too was the life he lived. And so too is the salvation he promised. And so desiring to give us something tangible He gathered his disciples and he took bread and he took a cup and he said, I want you to remember that my love for you, your father's love for you is as real as this bread and this cup. So that whenever you gather as the people of God for the joyous feast of the people of God, you will remember the reality of God. Because, beloved, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. And we have gathered here in this place because we need to remember that God's love for us, that his love for the world, that his holiness and truth are real. And knowing our limits, he has given us this real bread and this real cup so that we would not only hear, but so that we could see and feel and taste and be reminded of the reality 
of all that he is. And so we come to this table not because we are fulfilling a a requirement, but because we have been invited to come and to know the reality of the love of God. We come not because we are worthy, but because he has extended an invitation because he loves us. And Jesus does invite all those who trust him as as their Lord and Savior, who walk as his disciples and who have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to come to partake of this table and to know in a firm, a sure, and certain sense the truth and the reality of God. This sacrament is a sign and seal of his grace, pointing to the reality of Jesus and binding us to him so that even though he is at the right hand of the Father, we are present with him by the power of the Holy Spirit. So come. He is calling for you.